Well, hey, welcome to Regeneration. My name is Kyle. I'm the pastor here, and I'm just super, super thrilled to have you here with us tonight. Uh, before we dive into our message for tonight and everything else that we've got going on, I want to just say a couple of things. First of all, seriously, we're so glad that you're here. If you happen to be a guest with us tonight, we're especially glad you're here. You have been expected and awaited for, and we're thrilled to have you with us. Um, inside your program tonight, which kind of says everything there is to say about our church, there's some information, a piece of paper called the connection card. Please fill that out. Let us know that you were here and grab a mug by that back table on your way out too. Um, two things in that program that I want to make you super aware of. Um, the first is that this month at Regeneration is our first birthday. We are one year old plus, uh, and so we want to kind of get an idea of how we're, go how we're doing, and so we've called this report card month. Inside your program is a report card. Please grab that, fill that out, be honest, let us know how it goes. Uh, what you experience in hospitality about feeling welcomed, about if I'm a sucky speaker or anything like that, and you can drop this card in the basket also by the mug, so please grab that. It's just, um, drop that in there, grab a mug, it's just our gift to you. I want to draw your attention just to one special event on our calendar. Um, Tuesday night, this Tuesday, the 20th of October, um, we're doing a combined women's ministry event uh, at Grace United Methodist Church, which is a church that I'm serving in the mornings um, and where I'm part of the family there. We're doing an event called Praise from a Weary Heart. Uh, my wife Stephanie was in full-time ministry for six years at Moody Bible Institute, where we both graduated from. And she is having one of the girls that she kind of mentored through that time, her name is Hannah, come and speak. She's a really gifted speaker. Actually, um, at Moody, the coveted award was that, or thing that you wanted, especially if you were into preaching like I was, was to be able to speak at our yearly conference, Founders Week. I never got asked to speak at Founders Week, but that's okay. Uh, you know, I married the RS, so it's all good. Um, I got my prize. But Hannah spoke at Founders Week in front of a crowd of a couple hundred and was on the radio too. And so Hannah will be here. Sierra's leading worship. It's at Grace United Methodist Church, which is on the northwest side of Warren at 630. Childcare is available, the whole thing. Um, take this with you tonight. Uh, guys, give it to a girl near you. And girls, give this to somebody. Ladies, women, give this to somebody. Invite them along Sunday, uh, Tuesday night. It's going to be super awesome. Tonight we're in uh, we're wrapping up Ephesians. Uh, we are getting close to the end. We have two sermons or episodes left after this. We're in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 1 through 9, uh, which I'm going to read, and then we're going to pray. I'm not sure where that is in your Bible. I think it might be around page like 700 something, because that's roughly where we've been maybe for the last few weeks, but you're looking in the New Testament. Ephesians, those verses will also be on the screen. So here's what we're working through tonight, and then let's pray. The text says, in chapter 6, verse 1, children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger by the way you treat them. Rather, bring them up with the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. Verse 5, slaves, Obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you were working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we are slaves or free. Verse 9, masters, treat your slaves in the same way 
Don't threaten them, but remember you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Let's pray together. Jesus, as we open your word, we're talking about what it means for us to be a living church. And the remarkable thing about being a living church is that it doesn't have a whole lot to do with coming to church, but about the way that we live and act outside of this space. And so, Father, use this time to mold us and shape us into your people in a fresh way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We tend to have a suspicion or even maybe a full-blown belief that the way of Jesus is not entirely practical. We have a sense lurking in our hearts that Jesus isn't concerned with the stuff of our daily lives, that it's actually pie-in-the-sky, touchy-feely, huggy stuff that doesn't really have to do with my, for example, tomorrow or even my four hours ago. And to be fair, that's not a suspicion that's entirely unfounded, especially if you've been kind of walking with us through this book of Ephesians. Uh, The first four and a half chapters of this book are really very conceptual. They're very even abstract. Paul lays the doctrine and the theology on thick. And so you kind of start to get mired in this idea of what if Christianity is just about knowing the right things and that's it. But what's super interesting is that as Paul begins to end this letter in Ephesians, he gets into chapter 5 and then into chapter 6, rooting the letter in three of the relationships that just weave the fabric of our lives together. He talks about the relationship between husbands and wives. We talked about that last week, and you can go to soundcloud.com slash regeneration to take a listen. But now he turns to the relationship between kids and parents and also the relationship that we have with our jobs, with our work. And so even though we spoke to the first one last week, we're going to pick up that one again today. And and here's the question. Why does Paul put so much emphasis on relationship? Why is a relationship with other people so absolutely important to this letter, to even the way of Jesus? What Paul wants us to see, what Jesus wants us to see is that relationships are tremendously important because that is the place. Relationships are the place where spiritual formation discipleship happens. Put simply, the way of Jesus is not, is not, hear me, is not an exit, an eject button from your day-to-day life or your day-to-day relationships. It is a way that seeks to transform the way you have those relationships, the way you live your day-to-day life. My discipline kind of that I bring to ministry is called spiritual formation. I have a master's degree in it from Wheaton, Uh, Wheaton College out in Illinois, and basically that's a discipline that kind of has come to replace Christian education in the church, and it's a discipline that that exists kind of at the intersection of a few things, things like human development and church history, uh, theology, uh, best practices for ministry, uh, some psychology and some adult education. Spiritual formation is paying attention to those relationships and environments that cause a person to grow into maturity in Christ. Dallas Willard, who's one of my favorite authors on this topic, says that spiritual formation, put simply, is putting on the character of Christ. He writes in an article, uh, he says this, and this is actually on the screen, spiritual formation in the tradition of Jesus is the process of transformation of the innermost dimension of the human being, which is the heart which is the same as the spirit or will. It is being formed or really transformed in such a way that its natural expression 
comes to be the deeds of Christ done in the power of Christ. And that's really the the goal, the goal of Jesus in your life. Here's what Jesus is excited about, is transforming your inward inclinations so that over a period of time, your natural, unthinking reactions to things becomes exactly what Jesus would do if he were in your place. When I was in like elementary school, the big thing was that WWJD bracelet. What would Jesus do? Which isn't an entirely unhelpful question, but it's, I, I prefer to think of it not what would I do if I were Jesus, but what would Jesus do if he were in my place? If Jesus were married to my wife, if Jesus pastored the churches that I pastor, Jesus did the work that I do, had the friends that I have, if Jesus had, did the work that you do, that had the friends that you have, what would Jesus do if he was in your place is ultimately the question about spiritual formation and discipleship of growing in the way of Jesus. Spiritual formation understands that preaching is good and Sunday schools and small groups are good, that um, serving the poor is good, that doing any number of good things is good, but ultimately are not the best indicator for maturity and discipleship in a person's life. I've talked about this a lot here. I've been going to the gym for about six months and I feel like I'm seeing some pretty good results, mostly that I'm back to wearing larges again, so that's awesome. And, um, but here's the thing, I only go to the gym two or three times a week. And if the way that I'm living and particularly eating doesn't back up what I'm doing at the gym, it's kind of pointless. If I go to the gym tomorrow and come home and pound the entire bag of Reese's Cups that's sitting in my pantry for s'more usage, and s'more usage only, uh, it's going to pretty much in a real way offset some of that and ultimately it's not going to mean anything. Listen, Sunday schools, small groups, Bible studies, public worship like we're doing tonight is only valuable if it begins to inform and shape the decisions that you make every day. Discipleship is proven in our day-to-day relationships. Relationships are the bread and butter of spiritual formation. Uh, eating my diet is the bread and butter, no pun intended, I guess, of my physical diet. But over time, my relationships are ultimately the bread and butter of my spiritual formation. Jesus did not come. I wrote this down. Jesus did not come to create a club of people who are identified by certain activities outwardly. He came to create for himself a new people who share in a common radical experience of grace that transforms them inwardly and then spills out into every relationship outwardly. It's about the relationship, and I've met so many Christians. You might also put this in the category of, say, emotional health. I've met so many Christians that have been a Christian for a long time that have no friends and are so wounded by people and come bearing this long line of fractured and broken relationships and what they can't kind of wrap their mind around is that they're the person that all of those stories have in common. Jesus offers us a different way. So much of what we're going to look through these relationships between parents, and that's why it's important that we think about this idea of relationship as we turn to our co-workers and parents and kids because that is where we live. And it doesn't matter if your kids are grown. It doesn't matter if you yourself are a grown kid or you're in high school or middle school or elementary school. It doesn't matter. These are the relationships where Jesus seeks to transform us first. And all of these relationships are under the header of uh, chapter 5, verse 21, which we hit on last week, which is submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Paul's teaching, in a nutshell, is that parents 
should submit to their kids, which I know is counterintuitive, and that kids should submit to their parents. His teaching is that employees should submit to their employers, but also that employers should submit to their employees. I've been wrestling with this. I have a, I'm responsible for 11 paid staff between the two places I serve, so I've been wondering about that. And so Paul looks at two relationships where this submissiveness comes out. He's looking to unpack it, and he starts with parenting. And we can put the first three verses on the screen. Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord. Uh, parents love these verses. Uh, parents aren't happier about any other verse in the Bible than this one. Uh, they love that God says straight from the horse's mouth, obey your parents. It's not just a good idea, it's actually one of the Ten Commandments. That's what Paul is quoting in verse 2. That's why it's in quotes, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. We're going to preach on Exodus in the spring and we'll talk about the Ten Commandments. This is the promise, Paul says, that this is the only commandment, I mean, excuse me, that Paul says comes with a promise. The only one of the Ten Commandments that comes with a promise attached to it is obeying your parents. And Paul applies that to the New Testament church. What's super interesting to me is that Paul is elevating kids culturally in this letter because this was a time when kids were to be seen and not heard, and if then, maybe not even seen too much. And yet Paul is giving kids of any age a place in the community. But what's also interesting is that there are two Greek words for children in the New Testament, which is the original language of the New Testament. And one of them has the connotation of age, so it's a young child. But another one of those words simply speaks to the relationship between child and parent, and that's what Paul is looking at here. And Paul says, no matter what, no matter if you're 8, 18, 38, or 88, your job is to honor and obey your parents. Which, if you're an adult child, kind of sucks. So stick with me for a second. I'll unpack that. But Paul also addresses parents with a, with a twofold command. What's interesting to me is that the weight of these verses are on kids. But his harsher or more direct teaching comes in verse 4 to parents. And I have it on the screen here. I, do not provoke your children to anger by the way they treat them. Dads, notice that it, it's about men. Men, notice that when you, the one day when children are given to you, we set a tone in the family in a particular way. And his, but that doesn't mean moms are excused. So FYI, just, you know, whatever. And... Um, Basically what Paul's saying is it's possible for parents to exasperate their kids. It's possible for parents to push us to the edge. This happened when um, I went to college. My freshman year, my dad got me a bank account at Chase, like one of those college ones, but his name was on the account too. And so what would happen was the statement would get mailed to my dad, he would look it over and then mail it to me. Controlling much? Sorry dad, I love you, but it's true. And what would happen over a period of time is he started sending me these statements circling like overdraft charges or things like that. I mean, I was working my tail off my freshman year. I was working like 25 hours at a, law, at a lawyer's office and I was his runner. And like, I like almost lost my life somewhere between one and seven times, closer to one than seven. Uh, like, because he would say here, it's 4.55, the court closes at five. Like we need to get this stamp. I mean, I would be sprinting. I mean, I was much thinner then. And um, I was working like crazy and I never had money. And I come to find out about like somewhere time in the spring semester, I never had money because some schmuck was paying their Comcast bill out of my account. And my dad never noticed. I couldn't get online bank. I mean, I was furious 
with my dad and his little notes in all capitals. You're running out of them. I mean, it was just dads have the ability, moms and dads have the ability to exasperate their kids. And the danger that Paul says with angering your kids is that it distracts from the one thing that parents are supposed to do. Verse 4 says, bring them up in the discipline and instruction that comes from the Lord. As parents, our highest priority is making sure faith is formed in our kids. That's it. But I, I kind of want to talk just for a second, and this is some bonus material that I didn't share this morning, because what happens when you're an adult child with your parents? Because the majority, oddly, of your life as a child is spent in an adult relationship with your parents, um, if you're kind of walking the typical road. And so I, one of the pieces of my journey that has been really important over time um, has been as I got into my 20s, kind of waking up and starting to see my parents, not just as my parents, but also as people. And when you do that, you kind of suddenly start to see your parents a little more clearly, and you become aware of their hurts and their hang-ups and their bad habits, and you may even become a little aware of um, some unhealthy patterns that exist in your relationship. You may become aware of some specific things that parents have done to hurt you, and parents don't hear this idea well, because parents, I, you know, kids kind of start, when they get in their 20s, start to kind of identify some baggage and some things that maybe they're carrying with them. And parents kind of look at it at this angle of, well, I loved you and put a roof over your head, like, what's the problem? And so some tension kind of arises there, arose in my own family. But I think it's key, especially when in your 20s and your 30s, that you start to try to zoom out on your family lens just a little bit, and not with an attitude of how do I find the way my parents are screwed up, but how do I see my parents not as infallible beings, but as someone who does do some things right and does do some things wrong, and I need to kind of walk that road in tension. I have met very few 20-somethings that don't need a mentor and in some cases, maybe some professional counseling to kind of talk about their parents' stuff. I don't. I don't know of a 20-something that doesn't need someone to come alongside of them and say, this might be what a healthy relationship with your parents looks like now that you're on your own. I don't know of anybody that doesn't need that. I, that's not true. I know of one of my closest friends from college has the most perfect, beautiful Texan family you ever did see. Um, and I'm just waiting for it to come out that, you know, Somebody murdered somebody or something. I don't know. You know, it's just any given moment because it's just, it's a little too perfect. You know what I'm saying? But if you're an adult child in the room, I'd really encourage you to read this book. Um, it's called Forgiving Our Mothers and Fathers um, or Forgiving Our Fathers and Mothers by Leslie Leland Field. She says, if our families are to flourish, we will need to learn and practice ways of forgiving those who have had the greatest impact on us our mothers and fathers. And I'm not trying to say that every parent is screwed up, but I'm also not trying to say that like that parents are infallible. We need to enter into a different kind of tension as we get older. And that's hard, and that's why we need somebody else to kind of talk to about it. Um, parents in the room, it's my goal. I don't have kids, so I'm talking big, right? It is my goal that when I, my kids turn 18 that we are going to go on a walk and I'm going to say to them, you're going to have some moments in the next four years where you realize that I've hurt you. 
and you realize that I'm crazy, and I need you to tell me about those things. And I will listen, and I will not fly off handles, and I want to, I want to apologize. I used to tell parents in my youth group to do this, to say, I want to apologize for the way that I've hurt you. That's my goal. So Paul talks about that and by that book. I have an extra copy, so if you want it, I can give it to you. Let's look at verses uh, 5 through 9 just really briefly. Paul talks to parents and kids for a while and then turns to another place where we spend a great deal of time, which is our work. If you work full-time, you probably spend more of your day or more of your week, more of your month, more of your year working than you do with your family. It's just how it works. And when Paul references slaves and masters here, he does this at a time in history, and this is an important thing to distinguish, that slavery in classical Mediterranean does not look like 17th, 18th, 19th century slavery in the American South. Um, slavery in the American South was about the systematic abuse and taking advantage of a specific race of people to achieve their own ends. Whereas in the classical world, in Mediterranean, it was almost more of an allowance offered to the lower class so they could flourish. And the commentators on these passages called the passages on marriage and kids and slaves, they call it the household codes because most slaves lived in the house with their masters. Uh, and their relationship, by and large, I mean, this is not always true, was at least somewhat amicable, if not, or at least more respectful than the slavery that we kind of learned about when we were in middle school and history class. And what Paul really kind of is pointing to here is really a similarity to the relationship we have with our employers. If you work full-time or part-time, if you were working and are retired now, what Paul says here really applies to that. And this is actually one of my favorite things to preach on, is our relationship between our faith and our work. Because we come to this place in the church where we start to say the only valuable thing you do are those things you do for Jesus. And so... It's kind of like, okay, heathens, go work 40 hours a week in whatever dirty job that you do and then come into the church and do the holy spiritual things. And that's not what God has in mind. God has in mind equipping us so that what happens on Sunday evening carries through Monday to Friday and Saturday. Uh, we preached a series on this in the spring called Monday Morning Faith. So I'm not going to kind of go super deep into this. But look at three things just briefly that Paul has to say about our relationship with our work. He says that we ought to treat our employers with respect and fear. And it's interesting that Paul says that we should fear our earthly masters because typically when the Bible says that we're supposed to fear someone, it's only used of the Lord. Proverbs 1.7, I think, says the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, that there should be a deep respect and honor that we place on our employers. Second, when we work, we, we work at, to serve people from the heart. Paul says, try to please them all the time. He says, serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Working, do the will of God with all your heart. Paul wants us to throw ourselves into our work, not in a way that is addictive, not in a way that is um, workaholism, but in a way that says we're there to do the job that we do. When I worked at um, Panera when I was in high school for this brief hellish four-month stint. You understand my version of hell is where I'm constantly responsible for things that I have no knowledge of. And I didn't work frequently enough at Venera to ever actually know what went on any of the sandwiches. And so people would come through the line and like I would see this thing pop up on the screen and I'd have to read this very tiny print thing on the like cooler thing to like figure out what in the heck 
went on this sandwich, and meanwhile, there are these grumpy people down at the end watching me mess up. It was, it's like, I'm, I'm like, have, like sweating thinking about it. I could not handle it. And so I often ended up on dishes, because that's about all I could do. Not a good example of working with all my heart. Because let's just say the dishes that I called clean when I was at Panera are not the dishes that I call clean when I'm in my house. You know what I'm saying? There was some residue on there, and we kind of would just let that go. Paul says that we work with all our heart, and he reminds us in verses 7 and 8 that we're not working for a, that we're also working for a boss that we can't see. It's interesting that Paul says, remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good we do, whether we're slaves or free. You are rewarded beyond your paycheck, beyond the benefits, beyond the pension plan, beyond the whatever you get, you are rewarded eternally for the way you do your work. That is mind-blowing. And so Paul says, remember to be submissive to your employers. What Paul is so passionate, the reason Paul is so passionate about our relationships is because we are the mirrors of the gospel, that the gospel is um, seen either more clearly or less clearly through the ways that we conduct ourselves at work. When we're frustrated and angry and tired, that says to the people around us what we really believe about ourselves. And the biggest problem any church has Regeneration, Grace Church, any church in our community, the biggest problem any church has isn't, or not flashy enough, isn't that the graphic design isn't cool, isn't that the website isn't super functional, it's this, it's that the people that God appoints to be his mirrors don't live like it. And so we don't work with all our heart and we provoke our kids to anger and we treat our marriages poorly and so what happens out of that is it fogs over the glass through which people see Jesus in us. And so when Paul is writing and really pleading with us to be submissive one to the other, that's what it's about. It's about helping people see Jesus. And that's why I, I also love that every week we come to this table because it's not about like some weird ritual thing. It's about a meal that nourishes us even in the like most mundane and ordinary corners of our lives. And talk about mundane and ordinary. We just bought a loaf of, a small loaf of Italian bread and somebody ripped it up. They washed their hands first. And... Then they dumped some grape juice. I mean, this is the most ordinary. It's not even like a giant piece. And yet, Jesus makes himself present to us here so that we can know him and be sustained tomorrow and on hump day and on Thursday and Friday and beyond. It's Jesus' desire that at this table, we wipe off the glass so we can be, he can be seen a little more clearly. So in a minute, the band's going to come up, and they're going to lead us, and then um, I'll pray. During this time, we kind of have two ways for you to respond to God. One, obviously, is at this table. Take a piece of bread, dip it in the cup. We like to say, taste and see that the Lord is good, because he is. But then also, if you plan on giving, if you um, want to help fund what God is doing through this community, which he's actually doing some bizarrely amazing things, and I say bizarrely because I'm often surprised in ways that I probably shouldn't be. You can just drop that in the basket as well as connection cards or uh, report cards, anything like that. But let's pray together. Father, we confess that um, we are not always the clearest glasses through which you can be seen. 
that our desires for expediency um, and selfishness often trump our desire to please you. And we're sorry for that. And so we pray, Father, that at this meal, you would spray, <laughs> spray some Windex on us a little bit, Father, so to speak, so that people could see us, see through us to you even more clearly this week. Thank you for the gift of being known and being loved every moment. Pray in Christ's name. Amen.
Hey, uh, may you this week uh, know what it is to be transparent, to be seen through, to be a mirror for the gospel. Um, if you didn't give us a grade, please do. Just make sure there's not any Fs on there or you won't be welcome back. Um, also, uh, we're kind of a new community, and so there's some work that goes into this night. So you'll see some people starting to clean up. You're not allowed to do anything to be helpful, those of you who think you should be helpful, until 7.10, because you're our guest tonight. So thanks for being here. We'll see you next week. Your life.